Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I have such a desire to learn the Bible truths and to share them with you. As with any study, pray for discernment. Ask God to show you how you can perhaps share this information with others and how it can lead to a transformed life. Welcome to my second podcast in my series on the end times. I've been super excited and super apprehensive about doing a podcast series on the end times. In fact, when I told one of my sons I was attempting this podcast, he looked at me with horror. I think his go-to visual was someone standing on the street corner with a huge sign shouting, the end was near, or that I was going to pack up my bags and head to a remote, undisclosed location to wait it out, in which case, who was going to cook him dinner? Well, I'm not going to do either of those things. Instead, I'm hoping to shed some light on what is often described as a fascinating and intimidating and widely misunderstood topic. I took some time off to really study and pray about this subject because it's really, really important, but maybe not for the reasons that you think. That's what we're going to talk about. As we reflected in the last podcast, the end times has been a popular secular topic, especially recently with the global pandemic, the unbelievable fires that raged in Australia and here in the United States, the uncertain political climate, and on and on. But even though we would like to think that we're unique and special, we're not alone in this certitude that we're the ones living in the end times. In fact, 2,000 years ago, during the time of Jesus, the oppressed Jews were also convinced that the end was close at hand because They were certain that when times got super bad, that's when Jesus would be beamed back down to earth to save them. But that's not what the Bible says is going to happen, and that's why it hasn't happened yet. Imagine for a moment that you're a believer in Christ in Rome under the evil emperor of Caligula or Nero. We can't fathom what it must have been like to face the arena, the stake, or the lion's den for our faith. They certainly must have thought that Christ was coming soon. Or what about when Attila the Hun overran Europe in the 5th century, or the Viking invasion in the 9th, or the invasion of Genghis Khan in the 13th, or the Muslim Turks in the 16th century? I think we certainly would have concluded that the end was near when the Black Death claimed more than 25 million lives, which was about 25% of the whole population between 1347 and 1352 AD. And then, just a little more than 100 years ago, when we had that so-called war to end all wars with 37 million casualties, only to have another horrible world war just a few decades later with the rise of Stalin and Hitler. You certainly would have been in good company if you thought we were ushering in the end times then. You see, sadly, we 21st century folk don't have a monopoly on death, disaster, and disease, or thinking that the end is near. 
All right, you're probably thinking, well, thanks, Renee, for the history lesson, but where's the good news? Jesus was asked the same thing by his apostles. Do you recall from our last podcast what he said to them? This is in John 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, unquote. In the 16th chapter of John, Jesus is warning his disciples about persecution and troubles, but he assures them they're not going to be alone. He said that, yes, they're going to feel out of sync with the world and that there's going to be trouble, but that Jesus was sending his spirit, the great counselor, to be with them and to guide them to the truth. And did you catch that last part of what Jesus said? But take heart, I have overcome the world. As believers, we're to share this good news. God wins in the end. Evil will have an end. Our grief will turn to joy. We're not there yet, but we're promised that it will happen. Honestly, the devil, the adversary, the big fat liar, he's what we need to be watchful for, not for hidden signs of when the end is coming. As I pointed out in our last podcast, the devil likes nothing better than to get us off track from keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who wants us to become obsessed with when the end is coming instead of how we should be living in the meantime. The devil wants to steer us off course to get us to focus on anything except God. Recall that when we talk about end times, we're talking about the time of Christ's return to earth, also referred to as the second coming of Christ. The entire Bible, starting with Genesis and ending with Revelation, is a story of God's grand plan to restore us and earth to a perfect relationship with him again. It's a plan of restoration and redemption. God's goal is to create a new heaven and a new earth so that we can live with him forever. From the beginning, God's plan has been to restore his good creation. Remember, we're the ones that messed it up when we decided to go rogue in Genesis 3 and to not listen to God and to seek wisdom and knowledge on our own instead of learning it from God. It's not God who messed up and had to resort to plan B. It's us that did the messing up. And creation has been paying for it ever since. We were never supposed to die. We were never supposed to toil and suffer and We were never supposed to have disease and disaster. But there is hope. God will make all things new, including us. So that's what I want to focus on in this podcast. Not the when is it going to happen, but the what should we be doing in the meantime? Because remember, what did Jesus say to his apostles when they asked the age-old question of when is this going to happen? That was in Matthew 24, verse 36. He says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay. But 
let's assume for just a moment that these are the end times. What then? How should a Christian respond? Fortunately, the Apostle Peter gives us a straightforward answer to this question. Wonderful Peter, one of the 12 apostles who many of us can relate to with his impatience and his moments of belief and unbelief, the one who denied knowing Jesus three times. Yes, that Peter. He becomes a leader of the church. Peter wrote two letters to early Christian believers who were being scoffed at for their beliefs. Have you ever felt that way? In 2 Peter chapter 3, he was writing specifically about the end times. Listen to what he had to say. 2 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 15. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I love that. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They're going to say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has before beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, unquote. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all of us to be with him in eternity. The Lord's patience means salvation, not just for you and for me, but for your neighbor down the street. That's why God has not yet returned. 
His timing will be perfect. He's not insensitive to our suffering. He hasn't turned a blind eye to all the evil in the world. But God is merciful and loving, and he wants everyone to be with him in eternity. We are in the meantime to share the good news of forgiveness and salvation with everyone. Because when everyone has heard the good news, then the end will come. So to those suffering right now or a hundred or a thousand years ago, God might have seemed super slow, right? But Peter tells us that God is not slow. He just isn't on our timetable. What's the big holdup? God wants more sinners to repent. He wants more people to turn to him. God is moving history. Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So we actually now have the answer for when Christ will come again. Did you hear it? When the gospel has been preached to the whole world, then the end will come. So if you really want Jesus to come back soon, what are you doing to spread the good news of his return and his plan for redemption and restoration? The Bible tells us this is our responsibility, and we've actually been given authority to do this. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Pastor and author Rick Warren from Saddleback Church says, It's time for the church to be the church. He reminds us that the first Reformation, well, that was to get us back on track to focus on the Bible. So we're doing that. Check that box. The new Reformation, according to Pastor Rick, needs to be walking the walk. In his words, we need to be known for what we are for, bringing people to Christ, rather than what we're against. I think that's really powerful, don't you? Rick Warren gets real when he says there's about 2.3 billion Christians around the world, and that only the church, powered by the Holy Spirit, can take on the spiritual emptiness of the world. If you haven't had a chance to listen to his video series called What on earth am I here for? I strongly suggest that you do it with your church, your small group, or maybe just a group of friends. It's so powerful and compelling. Rick Warren points out that we are all shaped to be disciples. The mission for all of us is to bring people to Jesus. God expects us to bring people to Jesus. Rick plants this beautiful image of when we get to eternity, we see all these people that are high-fiving us because, remember, there's no more COVID, and they're smiling at us because we brought them the good news about Jesus. Isn't that an awesome thought? 
It's much better than thinking that because we didn't share the good news, there are people who we know who are in eternal misery. Now, there are some who may feel that the church is no longer relevant or that it's fading away. Not even close. Lest we might be tempted to think this way like the devil wants us to, Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Yeah, the church belongs to God. It will prevail. It has withstood the test of time over 2,000 years. Jesus is the head of the church. When we harness through prayer and obedience the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do mighty things. Luke talks about this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, now we know what to do. Bring people to Jesus. Rick Warren explains, Jerusalem, that's a metaphor for your neighborhood, your hometown. Judea, it's like your county. Samaria, represents foreigners in our land. And the ends of the earth, well, that's pretty self-explanatory. So I don't want you to get freaked out. I know that you don't want to be uh, hopping alone onto a plane trying to save souls. (laughs) Blueletterbible.org actually explains it this way. Jesus promised us the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us his church, the power to walk the path and the ability to be what God wants us to be, which is witnesses of him in our community, spreading from there to the surrounding communities, and then going from there to the surrounding territories and ultimately to the whole world. So the question is not if he's coming back, because he is, or when he is coming back. The Bible says no one knows except the Father, and he's not telling us. The real question is, what are we doing with the time on earth that we have been given to ensure we get to spend eternity with the rest of the people on the planet? Okay, here's something funny. I asked Siri the other day what the population of the earth was, and she said 1,065. Okay, I know that's wrong. Well, I guess there's a small town in Texas called Earth. Earth, Texas. Who knew? And the uh, population of Earth, Texas is 1,065. (laughs) But the actual population of our planet Earth is 7.6 billion people. Doing some quick math, that leaves 5.3 billion non-Christians in the world who can be saved by hearing the message of the gospel. I really want Jesus to come soon. And so I'm praying about how I can do my part to help get the word out. Pray about what you can do to share that good news of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he who believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. Surely everyone can remember that Bible verse. 
And it's a powerful one. It kind of says it all. Out of love for us, God sent his son to die for all the ugly, awful, terrible things that we've done, our sin. Jesus was innocent of sin. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was absolutely 100% blameless. And yet he took on the sins of the world and died a horrible, painful death on a cross between two criminals. But remember, the good news of the gospel is God wins, not evil. Jesus rose from the dead three days later because he is God incarnate. Death was defeated in Christ. All of us have an expiration date here on earth. But the good news is that we can live for eternity with our creator by asking for forgiveness and by believing in the life-giving redemption of Jesus. So from now on, let's not focus on when he's coming. Let's focus on who is coming with us when he does come. There's so many different ways for us to share the good news of the gospel. It can actually start with us living a godly, transformed life. Does our life look different than the world's? Who can we demonstrate Christ's love to in our ordinary daily life? How can we be a light to those who are living in darkness? We don't have to be Bible experts, but we do need to be witnesses. How different are we now that we know Christ? I'm going to end with this quote from New Spring Church. Amanda Thompson wrote an article titled, You Don't Have to Be an Expert to Share Your Faith. That's good news. She writes, The Bible can be intimidating. To someone who doesn't know Jesus, Scripture can seem like a giant set of do's and don'ts. And for Christians, it's easy to feel ill-equipped to speak about truths found in the Bible and answer theologically tinged questions. What if we dialed back the anxiety? What if we worried less about knowing the exact Bible verses and holding all the answers and instead we tuned into one tool every Christian has? If Jesus is changing our lives, we have something to say about the gospel. And that something may be the very thing someone else needs to hear. She continues, There's a remarkable story in John chapter 9 of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. Jesus spits and rubs mud on the man's eyes and then sends the now-seeing man back into his community. And of course, people asked. Of course, people who knew the man noticed. Religious leaders had questions. His parents weren't quite sure what to think or say. Who did this to you? Who was this man? Why were you healed? There's a lot of hope and power in the man's response. He says, I don't know how to answer all of your questions, but I know I was blind and now I see. He shared the good news that changed his life. Unquote. That's what we need to do. Tell your story. Share the good news of how you were lost and now you're found. In our next podcast, we're going to talk about heaven and eternity. N.T. Wright calls it the life after the life after death. Now that sounds like a pretty cool subject. Until next time, be a blessing to others. Point others to Christ. Have a blessed day.